Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams. And Elizabeth Wallace. And you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 328. And tonight, we are still on schedule. We have two episodes of Lore Olympus that we want to talk about. They are the first two episodes of season three, I believe, of Lore Olympus. It's episode 207, which is available right now on the site for free, and 208, which is only available if you're doing the Fast Pass. So we will give everybody a big heads up because we are... We just got to spoil all the things, even though I guess there weren't like a lot of like huge moments. There were a couple huge moments, but I think it's going to be a pretty fast recap of those two episodes. I feel like these episodes was Rachel just giving all of the fans two episodes with like the minimal amount of stress and all of the cuddling and kissing and everything that we've been hoping for since the end of the season where Hades and Persephone got separated. Yep. So... Where we had left the previous episode was, of course, all the things with Kronos and Persephone beat everybody. And she sort of ends the episode reunited with Hades and snuggling. And we pick up the next episode, episode 207, right at that moment where they've obviously fallen asleep together. And she wakes up and she asks him very sweetly, you know, is it you, Hades? Is it really you? He's like, what what do you think? I look like a scoundrel? She's like, that's not funny. (laughs) But I, they are just so happy to be with each other, and they're not even holding back on the kissing anymore, and it's so wonderful. And then all of a sudden, Hades panics. He says, oh my god, my dog. So I, I like this guy's priorities. So he's, yep. he's fretting about the dogs, but then he hears the dogs barking, and then he hears people like tending to them and like trying to shush the dogs, and people asking for where does Hades keep the oregano? And Hades like, oh, thank goodness, it's all the dogs and our loving family members taking care of them. And they both lie down there for a second. And then their eyes just open up wide. And then they're just descended on by all these loving family members of, I think it's Amphitrite and Hera and Aphrodite come for Mm -hmm. Persephone. And then it's Poseidon and Eros and Hecate, and they come Mm -hmm. for Hades. And they're just separating them and taking them off to their baths and like, you know, getting them washed, getting them dressed. And both of them are freaking out because they don't know if they're going to screw this up. And they're just like, it's adorable how much they're freaking out about the idea. It's like, what if she doesn't want me anymore? Oh, it's so cute. And the commenters are pointing out all sorts of funny things. One, that Persephone gets taken off to the giant, like, pool bath where she's being washed by the goddesses and everything. And Hades is dumped into a tub and a bucket poured over his head, basically. (laughs) So it's like, seems pretty on track. But neither of them are taking anything for granted whatsoever. They are not assuming a single thing. They don't assume that the other one desperately definitely wants to be with them and so every it's almost like a a lesson about consent both of these episodes are very much like don't assume that somebody wants something you have to make sure that you're always asking questions however they're both so insecure you want to be like oh my god you guys the entire previous season was all about how much you guys want to be together get used to it (laughs) so they don't actually like walk into a room to meet each other again after they've all gotten you know dressed and everything. It's just, you know, Persephone just kind of knocks on a window door and asks Hades if she can talk to him. And he like looking through the window panes. Sure. Okay. And it kind of reminded me of that conversation they had from opposite sides of a bookcase when they were trying, you know, Hades was trying to tell his story, but he wasn't sure how to do it and be in the same room with somebody because it was so intimate. So I did a little bit of a, like a a hint of a callback, I feel, but 
one thing that Persephone wants to get out of the way, she wants to show Hades her hands because they're green. And she tells Hades that she damaged them trying to take care of the mortal realm the way her mother did. And I think she thinks that Hades is going to be grossed out by it, which I guess seems kind of odd, but... Anyway, Hades just takes her hands and he says, I love this quote, no one is as delicate and as terrifying as you. And that's just such a lovely thing to say. Oh, and they're just canoodling. And Hades says something like, I really want to keep you all to myself, but, you know, our family's going to be wondering about us. And so he starts to take her out, you know, saying, hey, presenting the goddess of the underworld. And they stop and they freeze. And then Hades just scoops her into his arms with this glare and you look over and Zeus has walked into the room and that's where episode 207 ends. And Zeus does not look happy. Um, He's Mm -hmm. still got bandages from his fight with Kronos. But uh, we start the next episode, so spoilers, Hades goes ballistic right away, just telling Zeus, no, you can't take her away. What are you doing here? And Persephone has to calm him down. And she says, it's okay. And she goes to Zeus and she says, I know you said I needed to return to the mortal realm after this, but I've earned my place here and I want to stay. And she's, she's ready to go ballistic too, I think much more gently. But then she like looks startled and Hades is holding her hands and he presses her hands to his forehead and he said, you saved my brother. I'm sorry. And I'm like, oh, oh my, my God. God, Zeus apologizing. God, <sighs> I don't, I'm not sure he's apologized even once this entire series. The entire series, I don't know that we've heard a real I'm sorry from Zeus. No, no. He had some gentle moments with Artemis, I think, but you know, kind of like apologizing without apologizing for how screwed up the situation is while still telling Artemis that he was very happy to be her father. But this is the first time he's really kind of taken some responsibility. And he's just kind of overcome, but then he clears his throats and he basically does a kind of like magical crown over her head to say, you know, goddess of spring and queen of the underworld, I release you from your punishment. And I don't know, the the lights sort of dissipate but once again, nobody's taking anything for granted. Persephone is like, does this mean you're going to leave us alone now? And Zeus says, I guess. And of course, Hades and Persephone want more than that. And Hades says something like, um, we could always rework the treaty. And Zeus says, yeah, we could do that. And Zeus is being so accommodating. I was almost afraid it was going to turn out that all of this was a dream. And that leaves Zeus and Hades kind of standing there just looking at each other for a long moment. And then they're hugging each other. And they're just saying how much they missed each other. And it's like 10 years worth of strife. And it's all everybody's fine. (laughs) So we see a beautiful drawing of the gods and goddesses walking away like after a party, and of course, all dressed Mm -hmm. to the nines, and they all look happy. And Hestia was there too. And I don't Mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any conversation between Hestia and Persephone. And Persephone said, she told Hades that she needed to talk to Hestia because she needed to let her know that she was leaving the goddesses of eternal maidenhood, which, yeah, that's polite, but I think everybody knows that now, Persephone. I don't think there's any question. No. So Persephone and Hades talk, and Hades wants Persephone, he says he's trying to figure out what he needs to call her or what she wants him to call her. And she says, you mean, what are we to each other? And he... It's so, it's been so fraught, this entire relationship, that they don't even know what they are. And he doesn't want 
to just assume that she's going to be his bride sort of thing. And she wants to know if he still loves her. And he says, I will love you even when all the mortals have forgotten about us and we are nothing but stardust. And I thought, oh, you know, I just, uh, there was a Reddit thread uh, the other day where someone asked, why do they say that, you know, we are all stardust? Where does that come from? And it's because there are a lot of elements out there like iron and calcium and things like that, that can only be created in the heart of a star. And I thought, oh, that's wonderful. I love that. That's lovely. So yeah, once again, they're just neither of them are assuming anything. And it is kind of interesting, because you don't realize how much you sort of expect that. Persephone is obviously the queen of the underworld. That was made very clear in her fight with Kronos. Uh, the underworld has accepted her. She is the queen. But that does not necessarily make her Hades' bride. And they just, I don't know, she says, I want all the things. I. She lists all the ways that people get to know each other and fighting over what wine they were supposed to buy. And, you know, she has her own place and he comes over or she goes over to his place and they get to know each other. And so she doesn't, this is not like she's not automatically married to him because she really wants to have that fun of getting to know somebody. And he's perfectly fine with that. Yep. He asks her the perfect question. He says, your majesty, would you like to be my girlfriend? And that just sums all of it up. So everybody's left and they are kind of like putting stuff away. And he gives her her own room where she can stay at his place, I suppose. It's definitely her room. And he's like, I, you know, I, I'm not assuming that you're going to sleep in my bed. And she's like, I did not get into a fist fight with your father in order to sleep in your guest room. He's like, okay. <laughs> so and there's a, an adorable scene where Hades is lying in bed and his little tiny tiny dog is sleeping on the covers and he's just sitting there fidgeting and he like puffs up the pillow and then he kind of turns down the side of the bed where Persephone would sleep and there's a pause and then he goes and puts it back. So he's just, he doesn't know what to do with his hands, I'm sure. But then Persephone comes in and she's wearing a beautiful nightgown, I think that she said Hera gave her and she gets into bed and they just snuggle and it's beautiful. It's what I've been waiting for this entire time. But it is interesting that as they were sort of falling asleep, she told him, she's like, I feel like I'm missing something. I'm sure, you know, once everything's calmed down, we'll figure out what it is. So yeah, she's forgetting about something. All right. So then you'll see outside and then you see a green foot stepping down onto the ground and you look up and it's Demeter and she does not look happy. So that is where we end the episode. Now, I know there's going to be a confrontation. There's going to be a confrontation between Demeter and Persephone. There's definitely going to be a confrontation between Demeter and Hades. She's going to assume her daughter's being kidnapped. She's just going to assume her daughter needs to be rescued from the underworld. I am worried that she is going to do something that is going to drag Persephone back to the mortal realm. Because (sighs) that was, I mean, the whole her being taken out of the underworld in the original myth was her being rescued. But in this case, it's probably going to be a gigantic mistake. And we're still going to have to solve this whole situation where in the original myth, she spends six months out of the year in the mortal realm and six months in the underworld. Yeah. I mean, it's her mother. So she does have power over her. But Persephone is the queen of the friggin' underworld. So yeah, the only thing that I can think of is that somehow Demeter taps into some type of magic that's stronger than the both of them. And yeah, does something that's 
you can't reverse it, you know, it's it's going to be her spending part of the year in the moral realm before she can get back to Hades. Hades can visit the moral realm, though, he can't stay there a long time. So maybe that'll be part of the whole, she'll have her own place, and he'll come to visit her, and she can come to visit him. And I don't know. So it's just, I, I just, they're so happy, which is awesome. But I'm worried that it's just like the quiet before the storm. And we still, still have not seen Apollo this entire time. We don't know what his reaction is going to be to Persephone now being the friggin' queen of the underworld and most definitely dating Hades. So there's that. We haven't seen... Because Artemis has been in the mortal realm this entire time, these 10 years. So mm-hmm. there's probably going to have to be mm-hmm. a reunion between her and Apollo. And we don't know what that's going to look like. Because the last time Artemis saw Apollo, she realized she can't trust him. Because both he and her mother were lying to her this entire time. Oh, speaking of her mother, how's Leto going to react to all this? I mean, all of her plans ruined. Well, sort of. Because one thing that she really wanted was what Apollo was able to give to her, which was to get permission from Zeus for Leto to be able to come back to Olympus because she'd been banished from Olympus. True. So there's that. But I do think Leto has bigger plans. And I know Apollo has bigger plans. So we got we got one season to wrap all this up. Oh my God. But she's got all these goddesses on her side. You know, Aphrodite, Hera, Amphitrite, they're all on her side. I mean, that's a heck of a bunch in your corner. My goodness. Oh, speaking of Hestia, I really wonder if Hestia is ever going to give... Um, Persephone back her her cloak that she took away that Hades had given her ages ago. Because I saw, I flipped through the book two that's in um, bookstores now. And there is, it does talk a little bit about that coat and what went on with Hestia before she marched into Artemis's and Persephone's house and demanded it, you know, to get take it away from her. So yeah, it's interesting. It is. Oh, my goodness. Oh, but this was a wonderful couple episodes. Um, let's hope that the fun, nice stuff, you know, I mean, honestly, Zeus looked ticked off as hell at the end of episode 207. And I thought, Oh, my God, there's gonna be a fight. And then everything was fine. So the fact that Demeter looks so pissed off, uh, maybe it'll be fine. <laughs> I'm hoping it'll be fine. I took a look at a fast pass image, you know, a little teaser image, and it looked like an argument going on. But we don't know if that could be several episodes away. We don't know what's going to be happening up until then. Oh, my goodness. Ugh. 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 Anyway, more to come, obviously. So the only other thing we wanted to talk about is the fact that now we've both watched two episodes of the new Sandman series on Netflix. Actually, I've watched three. So uh, the episode, obviously, spoilers, it starts... Where does it start when you start watching it? Because I'm having watched several episodes, I'm like, uh, because all of this is taking place within the first Sandman graphic novel. So where did the second episode start? Okay, it was one of two places. It was either Morpheus walking into the dreaming and seeing just how badly everything's fallen apart, or it was the Corinthian confronting Ethel Cripps about the fact that she was, you know, that's the former mistress of the Magus, and she stole Sandman's tools, the um, the sand, the ruby, and the helm. And Corinthian is trying to get her to admit that she still has them, because he's trying to figure out a way to kill Morpheus so that he never has to worry about being hunted down again. Ethel Cripps keeps telling him, I don't have it, I traded it away. Corinthian gets threatening, and she pulls out a amulet that she traded for the helm and it 
blast the Corinthian into like squiggles that just disappear. So this is a damn powerful protection that she's got. And Okay, so the actress who plays Ethel Cripps, do you recognize her? I I recognize her, but I didn't know from where. Oh, she was um Stark from Event Horizon. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, of course. <laughs> oh god, yes, now. All right. I was the entire time I didn't want to check IMDB yet, but I was like, oh my goodness, she looks really familiar. Oh, I'm so glad she's still getting work. That's nice. I am too, yeah. And we were watching that and I said to Nathan, Is that the lady from Event Horizon? Nathan said, I don't know. And I checked IMDB. Yes, it is, I guessed it. Woo! Nice. Very nice. So she eventually goes to see her son, and that's where we meet John D. And it's definitely a different portrayal of him than from the comic. Because in the comic, he was just like, I don't know, like almost a monster, like his teeth all over the place and hair was sort of falling out. And here he seems faintly nice, I suppose. Um, but he's definitely in kind of a, one of those big white rooms. It's obviously a cage in some type of facility. Yeah, she told the Corinthian that John stole uh, Morpheus's ruby from her, and then the ruby stole John. So I remember that from the comic book that the ruby did likes a lot of damages. And Ethel explains that the ruby can make dreams come true, but it also makes nightmares come true. So everything you can imagine. Do you remember that bit in um, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis's The Dawn Treader, when they're traveling from island to island, and they travel in this whole, like it's an island that's made out of darkness, and they travel through it, and they're hearing these noises, and they rescue somebody. And he talks about this is the island that makes dreams come true. And they're all like, oh, wow, maybe I'll see my father again, or I'll find out that I've actually married my sweetheart. And he's like, no, you don't understand, not daydreams, dreams and there's a pause and then everybody panics and they're trying to get out of this place as fast as possible so that was you can imagine what that would be like you know to make any kind of dream come true and what that would do to a person so i'm kind of surprised ethel didn't get damaged from it but maybe she maybe john was the one who had to mess with it yeah i think that's uh I can't say anything because I've watched another episode farther than you. So, um, yeah, you're on the right track. On okay. But now, this episode is where the Sandman, who is trying to recover all of his powers and his helm and his ruby and his sand, and he goes to visit Cain and Abel. And I think they did a perfectly good job translating those two into real-world characters. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that Cain would be Ginger the way he is in the comic books. Mm-hmm. But again, I read the whole... Um, I think it was House of, it was definitely House of Mystery that I read a good portion of that series. And they had Kane show up and he was the exact same way that he was in the original Sandman graphic novels. So they didn't quite go with that, but they definitely got the personality down pat. Absolutely. My goodness. Yeah, no. And we see Gregory, the gargoyle, is around. Now, this is where the story takes a different direction from the comic book. And what I was telling you about when I was like, I don't know, something happened in that story where I was just like, Neil, no. And he did a thing that I did not care for. Yeah. So Morpheus has to get some of his powers back because everybody's pretty much abandoned the dreaming except a few people. And he has to get something that he created. In the original comic book, he gets, I think... The charter that he signed with Cain and Abel, he like, because he created those. Because Cain and Abel, they're from outside of the dreaming, if you didn't know. They're from, you know, they have actual history. Mm. But so he 
like takes their the power from their charters and kind of dissolves it, and so he can get that power back. We didn't do that here. Nope. He created Gregory because Gregory used to be a nightmare, and he actually goes to talk with Gregory, and Gregory agrees to it without saying anything. And um, yeah, and he dissolves Gregory. And I was pissed because they actually made us like that gargoyle in the what, what, two minutes that we got to see this gargoyle? And we were like, find him in such a wonderful, cute, adorable, personable, dragon-like gargoyle. And now he's gone. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's good to change the story. It's like we've said before, it, with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and all of its different incarnations, we don't necessarily need to get the same story over and over again. But I was like, oh, Neil, that was just mean. Oh. I do like some of the things they've changed. Um, the Ethel Cripps character. I mean, it's not just the actress, because I really like that, they're, that they uh, cast that actress. It's just that she has a lot more agency here than she did in the original one. In the original yeah. one, it was the second in command of the mages who ran off with all the treasures. And he also took uh, his mistress. So it was like he was taking another one of his possessions. And then later on down the road, she decided to leave and she took everything. So they just they skipped a step here. She made the decision to leave and she took what she wanted as she walked out the door. Yep, yep, yep. But what... The Sandman, what Morpheus is doing with this power that he's consolidating, he's got to ask questions of the... Now, does he call them the Fates or the Furies? It's the Fates here, I think. Ah, okay. Yeah, because uh, honestly, a lot of the times the Fates and the Furies, even in traditional stories, do kind of get combined sometimes. But this is the three-in-one, the young woman, what the maiden, the mother, the crone, yep. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, he's allowed to ask each one of them a question, and they tell him, you know, the bare minimum that they can answer his questions. They're not mean about it, but they, they're certainly not going to give him anything extra for what he's asking for. But when he gets done talking with them, there's still one thing left that he had grabbed. And you've got Lucien, who's, you know, Lucien is the librarian in Dream's realm. And in the TV version, it's a she and Lucien. And she notices that there is this egg there. And she's like, oh, well, she thought that was like an offering. He's not, that wasn't for them. He brings the egg to Cain and Abel and it hatches and it's Goldie the gargoyle. And they did such a good job of CGI for this because it looks exactly like the Goldie from the the Sandman comic books. Yep, yep, yep. Now, the funny thing is I went back and reread part of the first graphic novel. I don't want to read ahead too much. I kind of have been doing this thing where as I watch an episode, I go, back and I read the comic Mm -hmm. afterwards. And the golden egg, the gargoyle egg, actually, Cain gave it to Abel, I believe, in the original story. And I don't think they say where he got it from. So mm. I can't remember he had it and he was going to keep it. But for some reason, he had this overwhelming feeling that it didn't belong to him. So he gave it to Abel. Um, But I guess... It's uh, they threaded that very well because they've got some yeah. way of Morpheus maybe trying to atone a little bit for getting rid of Gregory, so yeah. which is really kind of a shame. But but yeah, I love the whole scene where Morpheus has to go into humans' dreams to 
get the things that he needs in order to contact the fates and to get a bribe for them. I guess that's what that snake was. Mm -hmm. So it's all, of course, the wonderful dream logic that he, you know, the fates can usually be met at a crossroads. So he gets a crossroad from the mind of a dreaming ox drover and this giant hand just reaches down out of the sky and pulls it up. So I liked that. And then there was also um, a noose had to be like a a hangman's noose. And he got that from the dream of a Japanese student who had like was had an entire head full of British horror movies. And I thought, what a lovely combination that is. (laughs) I thought that was cool. Yeah, yeah, they've really, they have made things different, but they've kept the feel of the graphic novel, and they still have the ability to surprise us, which is nice. And also the fact that they got rid of Gregory the way they did, it means that I don't know, characters that we would have assumed were safe or maybe not safe. So, I mean, even the introduction of Jessamine, which we never got to see Jessamine in the original story. Yeah, and I'm hoping that maybe some characters that uh, bowed out early in the comic book get to stick around longer because... In the original comic book, John Dee was able to escape because his mother passed away, and the last thing she did was send him her amulet of protection, and he was able to use that to get out of prison. So I'm kind of hoping that doesn't happen, because I'd like to see Ethel Cripps a little bit more, because she definitely seemed resourceful, and she was able to face down the Corinthian when he had his glasses off and those teeth and his eyes, and she didn't even really uh, bat an eye at that. So yeah, this is, and of course, all of the CGI, just absolutely perfect. Perfect. All the imagery, Morpheus, really beautiful. Morpheus walking into the dreaming, Morpheus trying to restore the dreaming with what little power he had. And he's just kind of levitating all of the broken pieces in the air. And for a second, it looks like it's actually going to work. And then it all crashes to the ground. I think they are doing a really good job. I heard an interesting thing on Twitter today. Somebody had mentioned, and it's somebody who's created something with Netflix. And this creator... I don't know, they're get, their voices are getting amplified for the fact that they said that if you really have been looking forward to something on Netflix, and you want it to continue and you want it to do well, you need to watch it quickly is what he said. And apparently with Netflix, it's within the first 28 days. Because if you wait to watch it, Netflix is going to decide, oh, well, nobody really oh, wanted for this. Goodness yeah, sakes. exactly. So no, it's, like, well, it's that metric. I think I saw that and I mentioned something similar to Nathan and Nathan said, or you can do everything perfect and everybody loves it and Netflix cancels it anyway. Very and true. I saw somebody tweeted about, you know, Netflix talking, you know, like a, a press release from Netflix about this wonderful property that's doing so well and amazing creators and it's been really, really popular. So we're sorry to say that we're going to be canceling it after one season. So yeah, it's, I I still feel bad for um, the Jeff Smith, the creator of bone that apparently he had something in the works to bring bone to Netflix and it got canceled. Ah, this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. And there's certainly a lot of stuff going on at the WB right now. I mean, they've canceled an upcoming Batman show. Uh, I guess it was Batgirl, I think they canceled, or was it Batwoman? I can't even remember, but it's like split right down the middle, whether they took a wonderful series that they poured a lot of effort into and was going to be really popular and they canceled it for tax reasons, or they've completely filmed it and it was so bad that nobody's going to release any episodes of it for anyone to see how bad it was. So who knows at this point? Yeah, crazy. 
But I guess that's going to wrap us up for the week. So make sure to check out pixelatedgeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo galleries. So, you know, in the space of a very small period of time, we've got a bunch of photos from Lauren from Emerald City Comic Con. We got Stephanie's San Diego Comic Con photos. She also went to Evo, the Evolution fighting championship something. It's a big gaming thing that goes on in Las Vegas. We got photos from that as well. Um, but a lot of photo galleries on the site right now. And so you can either go to the events tag on the site, or you can click photos, or you can click cosplay. There's so many different ways to find it, but all that and more, pixelatedgeek.com. So we're going to have a night veil next week, I guess. Probably a night veil in just a few days, actually, as time of this recording. All right, we're going to do that. Uh, if you had missed it, Catherine and I did a text-only version of our podcast last week because Catherine caught the non-COVID plague. <sighs> two weeks. Two weeks I've had this stupid thing, and it's still sticking around, damn it. So, yeah, my voice was not going to work for that. But I thought the, the text-only thing worked really well. I think we need yeah. to do that like on a semi-regular basis. That was fun. It was, it was. And then a couple days later, Hannah and I decided that what we really wanted to watch was the 2000, I think it's 2003, the movie with John Cusack and John C. McGinley, that's his name, right? Hannah will be very mad if I get that wrong. And Ray Liotta, of course. And Ray Liotta, of course. Identity was the movie. And we just had a craving to watch it. So she and I did our own little watch party of it. And I put the text of that conversation up on the site. So there's... So much content on the site right now. So, um, and as for next week, yeah, Night Vale and probably more Sandman. I think so, yes. And the next book in the Necromancer series is going to be coming out very, very soon. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I think the next book in the Scholomance trilogy is going to be coming out soon as well. Oh, I'm so excited. The cliffhanger of the second book was brutal. I just I thought, read the last 15 pages in a blind panic as I finished oh up that book. I'm really looking Cannot forward to seeing. Wait. They need to give us a happy ending, please. Oh God, oh God. But, of course, we'll talk about that or whatever other nerd thing crosses our path. So one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to y'all later. Sorry, you're you're frozen there. Hang on a second. We good? Are you back? We're getting a lot of lag here. Yeah, I know. I don't know why I I Uh, the computer and the router. No, I keeps like freezing. It'll go Mm. for a few seconds and then it'll freeze again. We might need to start the call over. Okay. Do you want me to? uh, I'll send you a new link. Yes. Yes. Okay.
Okay. All right. I'll do that. Okay. Hello. 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 Okay. Hello. I think hello. hopefully that's. I think that's a little better. Hopefully, you, yeah. There was yeah. a little stutter in your voice, but it's uh, cross your fingers. Wait, how bad of a okay. lag do we have? Ping, pong. Oh, might be bad. Let me try again. Ping, pong. Ping, pong. Bad, but not terrible. I okay. Suppose. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a bit of a more like. Let me see here. Ping, pong. Okay, not too bad, but. One moment, I'm just quitting out of Chrome just to hopefully, there's a little bit of a stutter, and I'm hoping I can, if I quit out of absolutely everything. <laughs> I don't think there was anything else. Also, I can tell our connection has been really piss poor on this one, so maybe we it's should wrap amazing. it up. amazing. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, might as well.